church, happy new year. I am excited for so many reasons that uh, last year is over. I'm excited about that. So I shared with you guys last week one of the hardest years that I've gone through, but probably one of the best, one of the best years, I, f- I believe. Um, I'm looking forward to this year. Be praying for me as this week I will spend some time in, in prayer and fasting as I uh, prepare myself and uh, for the vision that I feel like the Lord has laid on my heart for this next year, and I want to share it with you in a couple of weeks. But I really want it to be uh, solidified in my heart uh, as a believer, as a Christian, and as a pastor for our church. Um, I'm excited for what God has. Um, I'm excited for Thursday night, man. I don't know if you guys have ever heard uh, Mark Matthews uh, share on updates like this, on perspectives. And this is probably one of the most thorough men I know when it comes to <clears throat> uh, uh, an update like this, uh, a prophecy kind of, just uh, a current event type stuff that's happening. This is this is a man who I I asked for his notes on the Book of Revelation, and I use his notes for what I give you. I steal a lot of this stuff from him, um, but I really admire this man and his thoroughness in the Word of God. And I know he steals from other guys too, but I steal from him. And you guys probably go, man, Zeke, man, you're pretty amazing. And it's like, man, I steal it from everybody else. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Not everything. But uh, no, this is, uh, if you don't normally come on Thursday nights, you need to be here this Thursday night to just hear the current events of what's going on this week and uh, putting Mark on the spot. It's like, dude, you better not mess up here, bro. <laughs> you better like come through, Mark. Got it? <laughs> but anyways, I'm just so excited. But after having a few weeks off from the book of Revelation, we are uh, back in the book of Revelation and back to our series, Christ Revealed. So we are back on track in that sense. And, and even though Christ was revealed in our last two studies that we had, even though we weren't in our series of Christ Revealed, Christ was revealed through the last couple of studies that we had because the, the, the month of, Janu- of, of December was the journey. And, 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 and what we shared a couple Sundays ago was the journey from heaven to earth and how the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld the glory of the only begotten of the Son, uh, full of grace and truth. And so he revealed himself to the world. And so God continues to reveal Christ to us. And then even last week, as we kind of look back at our journey this past year and the, the vision that the Lord had laid on our hearts for that year, for this year, that really doesn't go away, that just kind of continues and propels us further in, in following after him to stay the course and in so many ways, in so many facets this past year, man, how, how, how the Lord revealed Himself to us in our own personal lives and, and, and took us farther than we thought He would ever take us. Just because we stayed the course with Him, we didn't give up this year, you know, we just kind of stayed there, you know. And how He just propelled us even forward as a church. And so if you didn't listen to, to those studies, you go, go back online, go to our website and listen to those two studies. That, you know, not just because I gave them, but I, I believe they're pretty powerful in just revealing how God reveals himself in powerful ways. And we will be back, or we will be in Revelation chapter 12 this morning, if you can make your way there. But before we get underway in chapter 12, let me go back a little bit to chapter 11, which was three weeks ago for a moment. Because that second part of Revelation chapter 11, and we almost kind of breezed through it a little quicker than I should have, but I just kind of want to go back a little bit to that portion, that second portion, because it was really, really important and, and very exciting because an event takes place there that, that, that if you don't catch it, man, you just kind of miss it. 
That there was a kingdom change that happens in the second part of chapter 11. But in order for that to happen, there has to be a war that occurs before that happens. Before there's a kingdom change, there has to be a war, and it is called Armageddon. And it is after that war that we see that, that this kingdom, there's a kingdom shift. And so we know that, that right now what we're covering in Revelation does not go in sequence. It does not go in order or in succession. It, he kind of jumps around. And so you, it's almost like, again, if you miss some of Revelation, you need to go back and listen to, some, to, to the other studies to kind of get you up to speed of where we're at because it does kind of jump around. In the next few chapters, it does kind of jump around. But John, what he said, what, what he, 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 he kind of is, is looking at this overall view that he has given as he's on the island of Patmos. And he sees the past, present, and future. And I don't know if he could see it all, or he just kind of jumps from one place to the other, but, but it's almost as if right now, in this part that he is writing, it, it's, it's, it's the future part of the part of, of, of the book of Revelation. But yet there's parentheses that keep on popping up, and some of them are chapters, some of them are just short snippets. It's almost like parentheses within a parentheses, you know, that you're going like, where, where, where are you going? And it's almost like you've got to keep track of where he's going with all this stuff. And so he does this to kind of give us different perspectives, different views, different angles, it's almost like different angle shots, you know, on the camera that this one catches this or this one pans out, but this one's more specific. And he does that throughout this whole time. And we were told in chapter 11, verse 15, that the seventh angel had sounded, which would be the third woe. <laughs> and we have learned that a woe is not a good thing when it is pronounced upon the world. But at first read, it doesn't sound like a woe. It almost sounds like a wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Because it says that it, the angel sounded, the third woe was on its way, and then we see that there's something occurring that looks good. Jesus is setting up a kingdom. There is rejoicing in heaven. And the 24 elders are bowing down and worshiping. I mean, what kind of woe is that? It's more like, wow, that's amazing. But in reading Psalm 2, and then Revelation 19, it seems as though the seventh trumpet, this third woe, is the worst of all of them. Of all the trumpet blasts of the third woe, it, it, because it, it speaks about the destruction of the whole earth as we know it. Because what it alludes to, what, what, what it's aiming at, is that there is a finishing of a kingdom and there is a start of another kingdom, which happens to be the millennial kingdom. So all that is taking place, but, but you're going, but, but John, you were just talking about the tribulation time. Now you're talking about a whole different thing. And we still haven't heard the whole woe. <laughs> Because that doesn't get introduced until chapter 15, and we really don't jump into it until chapter 16. So there's a lot. If you miss a Sunday, man, you're going to miss quite a bit. <laughs> but there's another interesting point that we really didn't capture last time. Before we get into our text in chapter 12, that, verse, uh, that chapter 11 starts off by John being told to measure the, the temple of God, which most believe is the third temple that is yet to be built. But it will be built because he's measuring it. And he's seeing something that doesn't even happen right now. We don't have it right now, but it's going to be because he measures it. And God tells him to go measure it, or an angel tells him to go measure it. Because that temple is going to be vital for the tribulation time. But as Revelation chapter 11 finishes, 
we see the temple of God being opened in heaven. What? There's a temple of God in heaven. And this temple in heaven is the real temple. The real one. When, when Moses was instructed when they were in the wilderness to, to build a tabernacle, which would be like a, a traveling temple, <laughs> when he was told to, to build it, he, they gave him specifics. God gave him specifics. This is what you're supposed to do. Gave him measurements to, to the inches. And then later on, King David wanted to build a, a, a stationary temple for God. But he couldn't do it, but his son would. And as real as those things were, that you can touch, you can feel, you could see, they were only a copy of the real one in heaven. And it's like, mind-blowing. Because you're going, God's going, it's just going to be a copy because there's a real one up here. And in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, it says, Who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he, God said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. It says, Do it exactly the way I'm telling you, because it will be a representation of what is in heaven. And it tells us at the end of chapter 11, verse 19, that the Ark of the Covenant is in the temple of God in heaven. And the Ark of the Covenant is like the most precious piece of furniture that went into the temple. It's also known as the Covenant of the Lord. And it speaks about the presence of the presence of God. And it's made up of two different... Um, pieces of furniture. What one is, is is the basin or the box, which is about as big as this pulpit here in, di- in, in dimensions. And then it has a lid that seats over it with two cherubim that are on it. And, and it's pure gold inlaid out and in all the way. And it's the most amazing portion of scripture or, 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 or furniture. And the contents of it here on earth, had, had the, a bowl of manna, the, the uh, rod of Aaron that budded, and the Ten Commandments that God gave them. All speaking about the, what would come, the provision of God through the manna, the law, of God, or the law of God in the Ten Commandments, and the authority of God through the, the staff. And you're going, well, does that exist up in heaven? It's like, absolutely not. It's empty inside. Because Jesus was the fulfillment of all of that. He is the presence of God. We saw him here in, in, in this world. He presented himself. The Old Testament, the, the ark, man, spoke of the presence of God, but, but we saw that the word became flesh and dwelt among men, and he has revealed himself now to us through his Holy Spirit. And so what this tells me, that as we cover there before we get into our, our text, is that, all that we see in the physical realm and all that we perceive even in the spiritual realm all points to and gives evidence of the presence of God. All of it. Every, every aspect of life g- gives evidence to the presence of God that He is in control of all things from the very beginning to the very end. All that is seen and all that is unseen both in heaven and on earth. Everything. Everything points to the presence of God. And so the angel, the seventh angel has sounded. The third woe is on its way. And there are lightnings and, and noises, thunderings, and an earthquake and great hail. All of these point to the seven last plagues that we will see in chapter 16. The seven bold judgments. For in them is the wrath of God complete. We will see that. And this morning, as we finally get into Revelation 12, we will go back in history and set the stage, basically, for the next few chapters. And we will see a lot of symbolism. And it won't be in sequence. It won't be in chronological order. And so we will take our time a little bit more in the next few chapters 
to try and understand what these chapters mean. And one of the things that I've shared with you about the book of Revelation is that there's all kinds of symbolism. And all the symbolism can be found in the Word of God and also in Revelation, as we'll see even today. Because more often than not, it all, all the symbolism alludes to, to something somehow within the Scriptures. And so Revelation chapter 12, we'll just cover the first six verses this morning. It says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of of, of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth, to devour her as soon as as it was born she bore a male a male uh, child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up to god and to his throne then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has been uh, where she, where she has a place prepared by god that there should they should feed her there 1,260 days. So just covering these verses here, just, just kind of looking at these verses, we're gonna, we, we have a lot of symbolism here. But, but he starts off in verse 1, and, and he says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven. And you're thinking, with everything that he has already experienced, as he's been writing this vision down, you're thinking, What's so big a big deal about the, uh, this sign? You've been seeing so many things. But this is the first time he uses the word sign. And he says that a great sign appeared. And the word sign can also mean wonder or miracle in the Greek as you look it up in the Strong's Concordance. But this is the way this opening statement sounds in the Amplified. And a great sign, wonder, warning of future events of ominous significance appeared in heaven. And this is the way it sounds in the New Living Translation. Then I saw, then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. So, so what he is viewing here, what he is seeing here, is something that he hadn't seen before, but he's being able to see this, this wonder, this sign, this miracle, if you will. And so what is that sign, that wonder, that miracle, that was so great, that was appearing in heaven, that just kind of caught his eye? <laughs> what was it that was so significant? He says a woman. A woman clothed. With the sun, with the moon under her feet, and with and on her head a garland of seven of twelve stars. Huh. That, that there are several figures that appear in these next two chapters, and in these first six verses in particular, we have three the woman, the child, or a male child, and the dragon. Now, each represents something or someone. So when you have symbols like this, sometimes you get different points of view. Everybody wants to chime in (laughs) as to who or what they may be. And we will cover some of them, not all of them, like Mark. Mark Matthew, I mean, you could read on and on and on. And he's like, every aspect that's out there, he has researched. But I don't have that time. But man, oh man, I, I, I tell him, we should, we should just put all your, your notes together. If you ever want them, come and see me. I'll copy them for you. 
He gives me the first 13 chapters of Revelation and I print them back and forth on regular paper and it is that thick. Yeah, it's crazy. Anyways, enough about Mark. <laughs> but in our text this morning, we have some differing opinions, but not so much on the male child or on the dragon, but on the woman. The woman that is mentioned here, some believe, and this would be mostly the Catholics, most, most believe that this is a picture of the Virgin Mary as the Queen of Heaven. And as I googled the woman of Revelation 12, I was familiar with most of the pictures coming out of Catholicism. I, 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 I've seen these pictures in my own life because she is believed to be the queen of heaven but we know that she is the virgin mary and and all those things so all those pictures all those portraits that have been drawn of her in certain aspects you see her clothed with the sun the shining behind her you see her standing on the moon and you see a garland of 12 stars now it is true that mary was the one that brought forth the child jesus but verse 6 tells us that the woman fled into the wilderness for 1,260 days. That would be three and a half years, 42 months. And that never happened to Mary. Well, we do know that after she gave birth, they gave birth, they did go to, to, to Egypt for a time. But she, she wasn't there for three and a half years that we know of, or in the wilderness like that. So it is safe to say that this woman is not the Virgin Mary. Now others believe that this woman is the church. That is, it's talking about the church. But that just can't be true because Jesus was the one that gave birth to the church, not the other way around. So, so that one we can kind of like push to the side. It's like, good try, but no. It's not the church. There was no church before Jesus Christ, and so the woman is not the church. Now, I found this one interesting. Uh, some of you remember the name Mary Baker Eddy. She was the, the founder of Christian science, not to be confused with the Church of Scientology, but the, the, the Christian science in the late 1800s. She thought that the woman was a highly symbolic picture of herself and that the male child was what she gave birth to christian science and that the dragon was the mortal mind that fought against the body and i'm sure there's others and you can talk to mark about that but i want to go to scripture here like i said when we have symbolism it will explain itself especially in revelation but sometimes you have to go through other portions of scriptures. And so we, we, we want to go to scripture and see if the sun, the moon, and the stars, 12 stars in particular, have ever been used together as to what or who they might be. Some of you guys are already going, oh, I know where you're going. Well, I'm going to go to Genesis chapter 37. And some of you guys already know the story. You don't have to turn there. But I want to read to you kind of what happened with Joseph. If you remember the story. In verse 8 of chapter 37, it says, and, and, and his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers. And said, look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed before me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down um, to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in his mind. Now, again, here we see the sun, the moon, and 11 stars. 
And you're going, but wait a minute, there's 12. Well, Joseph would have been the 12th. He is the one that's having the dream. But all of this looks to Jacob and his family, his 12 brothers becoming the 12 tribes of Israel, who in essence would eventually become the nation of Israel. So the woman here that is being spoken of in Revelation chapter 12, verse 1, points to the nation of Israel. Because a woman represents here Israel. Because it goes right in line with what we just read in Genesis. Romans 9, 4 and 5 says, Who are Israelites? Who part- to whom pertains the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternal blessed God forever. Or, amen, I should, I added forever. I got a little excited there. So we know that that's what's what the woman represents. Now, it says that this woman, being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. From the time that man sinned, and fell in the Garden of Eden, it was promised and it was prophesied through Scripture that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head, speaking of Satan. And throughout the OT, the Old Testament there, it was known that the promised seed would come through Israel, which was the great hope of the nation of Israel. So we can know for sure that the child who this child is, who it represents, that it represents Jesus Christ. The one who was born through the nation of Israel and was a Jew himself. Now because Christ, the Messiah, was born into the Jewish race, there has been labor and pain, not just towards Jesus, but also to the Jews and to the nation of Israel as a whole. Because of all this, They have always been and will always be the nation of Israel, for that matter, public enemy number one when it comes to the enemies of God. Always. I'm sure you're going to hear some stuff this Thursday about all of that. Verses 3 and 4 says, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads, and ten horns, and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven, and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth, to devour her child as soon as it was born. Here John sees another sign appear in heaven, which is the same word that he used in in verse 1, the word sign. And this is the way it sounds in the Amplified and also in the New Living Translation. Verse 3 in the Amplified and the Living Translation says, And another ominous sign, wonder, was seen in heaven. That's the Amplified. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. And so these things are huge for him to use this particular word that that this sign, this wonder, this miracle even, was ominous. Now he introduces to us a great fiery red dragon. And it just sounds evil, right? I mean, whenever you see a dragon, you know... You, 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 you just think like crazy, you know, except for like, I was thinking this morning of Puff the Magic Dragon. But most of you potheads are probably, or ex-potheads, ex-potheads, you're probably thinking, <laughs> you're, I remember Puff the Magic Dragon. <laughs> and there was times I saw all kinds of heads on it, yes. <laughs> but it just sounds evil, evil. 
Now, because of verse 9 of the same chapter, again, it just tells us, it takes the guesswork out of it. It becomes a no-brainer because in verse 9, it says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So again, it takes the guesswork out of who he's talking about here, right? It's Satan himself, basically. That's who this red fiery dragon is. And the, the heads and the horns and the diadems on this dragon, they, the, the, they're symbolic of earthly kingdoms and powers that Satan himself claims. You see, he is the prince of the power of the air. He's the one that rules in this world. And, 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 and he has his fingers in every kind of power that is out there. Every kind of authority that is out there, man. He somehow can wiggle his way in because men are open to things like that. The diadems or the crown suggests the claim of royal authority that Satan has always wanted to take away from the true king of kings. A third of the stars, as we looked at before, sometimes signifies and refers to angels. And this is possible, talking about the rebellion that happened in heaven. When Satan rebelled and brought some of the angels down with him, as we saw in verse 9. So it could refer to the angels here, the, three, uh, the third of the stars. This, this red, red dragon, it says in, in, chap, in verse 4, it stood. It stood before the woman, the nation of Israel, who was ready to give birth, to devour her child as soon as it was born. If you remember the story of Herod the Great, in Matthew chapter 2, that when the Magi came, the wise men came, they came, they're saying, hey, we're looking for the king of the Jews. And he says, oh, really? Yes, he is supposed to be born. We followed the star. Really? Tell me where he's at. Come back and report to me that I also can go and worship this king of Israel, or king of the Jews. And there's almost this demonic force overtone or undertone in that story. When you read that story, you're going, this guy's wicked because what he does when these guys are, are, are instructed by the angel, don't go back to that cat. Go back the other way. Go another way. It says, it tells us that what Herod did was that he went and, and made a decree in Bethlehem and the surrounding areas that all two-year-old boys and under should be killed because he didn't want the threat. But then again, you're going, really, it was Herod? It's like, well, yeah, of course, he's the one that gave the decree. But there was a demonic thing that just kind of permeated this whole story. Because here we see that even, even the, 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 the dragon himself, he stood ready. He stood ready at the birth of Christ to devour him, to get rid of him. And he used people like Herod the Great to try and do this. You see, Satan has always tried to get rid of the, Jewish, the Jews forever. He's always been after them. In the hopes that the Messiah would never even be born. That's why when you read through the Old Testament and all these things that are happening, there's an there's a overtone or an undertone that there's spiritual aspect that, that, that you've got to understand and grasp. That the nation of Israel has been public enemy number one to the, to the enemy because he knows what the nation of Israel is all about. So he continues to hate the Jews even to this day. And he will use kingdoms and nations and peoples to try to get rid of them today. Verses 5 and 6, it says, She bore the male child who was to rule all nations with the rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness 
for she has a place prepared by God that there should uh, that they should feed her there 1260 days what we have covered this morning moves really really quickly and it covers hundreds of years basically because it seems that what John is experiencing as he's looking at this vision, kind of transcends, goes beyond time and space. It's almost like he's here, he's there, he, he could see it all, he, he, he can go and, and, and see specific portions of history. He is able to see the miracle of the nation of Israel be born by God, but he can also see the fall of Satan, which happened so long ago. Then he goes to the birth of the male child, which it had been prophesied of him that he will rule with the rod of iron, according to Psalm 2.9. Speaking about the millennial time. So he goes from the birth to, to the millennial time, and then it seems like he goes back to the ascension of the child, and Jesus is now at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, in looking at that, this last portion where it says, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. We, we know that Jesus didn't ascend to get away from the enemy. He had just defeated the enemy and death. He had just resurrected from the dead. There was victory there. He didn't say like, hey guys, I'm on the run now. Because he's really, really mad at me. So I got to get caught up. I got to split. I got to jam. Like right now, guys. No, he wasn't. It's like, no. The, the, the Bible tells us that he, 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 he was there for another 40-some days. <laughs> he wasn't afraid. He knew what was going to happen. And on a particular day, it says that as they were with him, he began to ascend up into heaven in a cloud. So it doesn't seem like he was snatched out of the way. And he wasn't being taken away to protect him from the fiery red dragon. Ah, he had just beaten him. But we do know, we do know that the body of Christ, the church, his bride, the one that he is one with and associated with, we do know that, that the body of Christ, the church, the bride, will be caught up, snatched away, raptured, harpazoed, if you will, to God one time, at, at one point. Which is a possibility that that could mean that. Which takes us even closer to the last three and a half years of the tribulation. Where this woman, Israel, and, and, and now it's speaking about this woman, Israel, speaking about the believing Jew who now flees the Antichrist who has broken his covenant with the nation of Israel and the third temple. And he defiles the temple. And it becomes an abomination. And it says that now this woman... She, she flees into the wilderness where God has prepared a place for her. Now, most believe that the woman who flees into the wilderness goes to a place called the Rock City of Petra. Again, you could, you could Google the, the Rock City of Petra or Petra. You'll, you'll get the band, too. There's a band named Petra. But, but the city of Petra. Or the rock city of Petra. Which is south of the, of the Dead Sea. It's on the Jordan side. And when I got to go to Israel, we don't, didn't go any further south than the Dead Sea. But when you look at pictures of the rock city of Petra, it, there's this, like this one opening to go in that you have to single file in there. But it's the city made out of rock, in, within the rock. And, and, and people... Christians, businessmen, have, have stockpiled it with food for this very time. You know, they're going, we're going to be a part of it because God prepared a place for them. So that's where they believe that they're going to be going. But when you go to the Dead Sea and you just look south from there, 
It is barren. It is wilderness. There is nothing there. And it's like, quite possibly, that's where they're going to go. And like I said, it's part of the, the country of Jordan, and I don't know how they're going get, to get involved with this whole thing, but to, to let them go. But like I said, most believe that the woman here, Israel, the Jews, the believing Jews, will hide for three and a half years, which makes up 42 months, which is 1,260 days on the 30-day calendar, the Jewish calendar. Now, as we close up here, the Jews, and for that matter, the nation of Israel has and is the most hated people and nation of all times. Twice throughout history, they have come back from annihilation, basically. When they were taken captive to Babylon, they were there for 70 years. And, and after a generation, 40 years or so, of not being in your country or as a nation, you stop being a nation. But after 70 years, they came back to the nation of Israel, to the land of Israel, and became a nation once again. And then in 70 A.D., they were scattered once again. And it wasn't until 1948, nearly 1,900 years later, after being scattered, they became a nation again. That is a miracle of God. Only by God's mercy and grace and, and, and a miracle by God can that ever happen. And they are the most hated people by and large, by most of the world. And as much as the Jews and the nation of Israel are hated, I will tell you this, that the Christians are next in line to be hated in the world. You and I. Because they're so nice. Who would ever hate you? <laughs> but you are. You're, you're, you're public enemy number two, <laughs> in that sense, to the enemies of God. Mainly because we come out of Judaism, but mostly because we are aligned with, associated with, and we back the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. But the bottom line is, it's because of Jesus Christ. Not just because he was born into the Jewish race and became the Messiah, but because we as Christians are involved with Jesus Christ too. So anything that is associated with Jesus and Him being revealed to a nation or to a people, Satan will come against. And with all that we have covered this morning and all that we will cover in the rest of this chapter, it all has to do with what has been going on in the spiritual realm for a long, long time. You see, unless we understand that there is a spiritual realm in our Christianity, we will never comprehend quite fully the Word of God. If you're just looking at it for the physical aspect, you will not capture all that is really there unless you start understanding that it is a spiritual thing. It shows you spiritual things. It gives you eyes to see beyond the natural into the spiritual. Oh, there are practical aspects to everything in our Christian life and lessons to be learned through everything we go through, every step of the way. But ultimately, we as Christians do not wrestle against flesh and blood. People are not our enemy. No, we pray for people, even our enemy. That's what the Bible says. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It is not always a battle against flesh and blood. It goes beyond that into the spiritual strongholds that are always at work and at war against the things of God and the people of God. Because if you don't understand that everything that happens around you, and yeah, granted, you know, you are upset at people or you battle against people, but they're not really your enemy. There's, there, there's a spiritual realm to all of this, and that's what we've been looking at. 
And the sooner we understand that as Christians, the more equipped we will be in our spiritual walk with the Lord. And if we understand the spiritual aspect of what the Word of God gives us, then I could guarantee you this, we will have more victories against the spiritual host of wickedness that are in these heavenly places. Because there is always a battle going on, even if you don't see it. There's a, there's a battle for your soul, there's a, a battle for your mind, and there's a battle for your heart every day. Every day. Period. And once you understand that, <laughs> then you're able to understand, hey, this person sitting next to me is not my enemy. Satan is trying to build a wedge to separate the church. Doesn't he do that all the time? Doesn't he try to build a wedge between marriages? Between kids? Between co-workers? Doesn't he always want to get that little foothold? And, and you're going, gosh, why are they so mean to me? It's like, why don't you just look beyond that, beyond the physical, and understand that there's a spiritual aspect. So get on your knees and pray. Because there's a spiritual warfare going on constantly. So what John has shown us and will continue to show us is that there has always been and will always be a spiritual realm. And the sooner you and I understand that, then when we read the Word of God, we're going, oh, I get it. (laughs) You see, what's happened with the woman, the child, and even this red dragon (laughs) is all in the spiritual realm. Oh, there's been aspects that have been physical. Don't get me wrong. But what we'll see in our next study is a war that constantly happens in the spiritual realm. There's always a war. And guess what? That war never takes a break. There's never a ceasefire. And you might be thinking, but I'm just so tired of it. I'm going to call a truce. It's like, guess what? You're going to get jacked up. You are. Because when you let down your guard, he just goes, bam, 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 bam. Not maybe like a sissy like that. He'd probably go, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> they look kind of sissy. <laughs> That's why we are told in the Scriptures to stand, therefore. That's why we're said, told that we are to walk in the Spirit. I <laughs> just like, eh. But he has given us the authority and the power to overcome. Amen? <laughs> Let's pray. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father in heaven, blessed be your name, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord, for just once again revealing to us through your word who you are, your power, your might. Lord, you've given us wisdom and understanding of your word because it's, it's not complex, Lord God, even the symbolism. You reveal it to us, Lord God, through your word. We're just so thankful that Christ is revealed throughout this whole book of Revelation. Lord, I want to continue to do it justice so that we, as your people, will be able to stand and fight this battle. Because, Lord, you've given us the authority. You've given us your Holy Spirit. You've given us spiritual eyes to see beyond the physical. Lord, I pray that you would help us to grow in these matters, Lord. Spiritually, help us to grow, Lord. Help us to see what we have never been able to see before. Give us a compassion and a heart for the people that are out there that are lost, Lord. Because you see it. As you said in your word, they, the, the, the people, the multitude, look like sheep without a shepherd. I'm talking spiritual, Lord. <laughs> the, the people look lost and they needed guidance. Lord, you've given us your Holy Spirit. You've given us your word. And I pray that we might be able to see with the spiritual eyes. I pray that even this morning, Lord, people that have come here this morning who, who, who don't have those spiritual eyes, They may have been sitting here for a while, but they need those spiritual eyes open right now, Lord God. They've asked you into their lives, Lord God, but they've been dealing with the physical. I pray that even right now, Lord God, 
their eyes would be open. And I want to pray for you, Christian. You who know that you've accepted Jesus, but you're going, gosh, I don't quite see with those spiritual eyes that you're talking about, Z. Maybe, maybe the, the Holy Spirit just needs to fall upon you and baptize you with the Holy Spirit so that your eyes would be open and you can begin to see. And if you're a Christian here and you're saying, I need more of that power, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you, Christian. Raise your hand. Amen. Yes, man, we should be desiring to see with those spiritual eyes. Some of you who, who, whose eyes have been opened, you're going, yes, everybody should have their their hands up, man, if you haven't had those spiritual eyes open. And so, Lord, I pray for all these who have their their hands up, Lord God. Right now, they're crying out to you. They're saying, Lord, open my eyes. Help me to see in the spiritual realm, Lord. Help me to see beyond the physical. Lord, help my brothers and sisters who have been battling with people, and yet it's been the spirit world that has been bringing them down. And I pray for them that they would have victory right now. And I pray your blessing upon them, Lord God. Go before them from this day forward, Lord God, that you would baptize them with your Holy Spirit in such a powerful way, Lord. Go with them now, Lord God. But I also want to give you the opportunity, if you're here and not a believer, that right now you would say, I need Jesus. (laughs) I, I, I need that touch first and foremost. I've been lost and I know I'm lost. Is there anybody this morning that needs Jesus because they don't have him in their life right now? I don't want you to leave without knowing Jesus, without your eyes at least being opened up to where Jesus is at. Is there anybody this morning? Mm. Father in heaven, Lord God, I do pray for all these who are here right now that God, your spirit would fall upon them those who have been walking with you for years, Lord God, that their eyes would continue to stay open, that you would see, help them to see, Lord God, what's beyond the physical. Those who have just had their eyes open right now by the baptism of your Holy Spirit, that, Lord, you would go with them right now and that they would understand more because of what your word reveals to them. Thank you, Jesus. Father, if there's anyone who who just didn't raise their hand but doesn't know you, Lord. Please, Lord, draw them to yourself. I pray. Blessed be your name, for you are worthy to be praised, Lord. There's nothing that can bring you down. And we know that, Lord. You're all powerful. You are everything, Jesus. You sit on the throne. You have everything under control, Lord. Help us to trust that. Adhere to that. Rely upon that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Go in the-